Hello, I'm going to talk today about meditation. I've titled this talk, Meditation, the Great Problem Solver. In the song you've just heard, you've heard the goal of meditation, which is to go back to your true home within. That truth which St. Augustine was talking about when he said, Father, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. All of us in this world are living in a world that seems so full of problems that the land of peace and light and love of eternal joy seems very unreal to us. It's because we've held things so close. I remember sitting in a bus one time and I was sitting by the window and out of the corner of my eye I saw this huge creature run across the front of a building. And I thought, my goodness, what big animal would do that? And I looked and it was a little fly that was so close to my eye that uh, it looked big because I was thinking in terms of the building beyond it. So it is that our problems look so big because they're close to us. Now, I want to talk about meditation today not only in relation to this wonderful home within, this home that we all have at the center of our being, that part of us which relates to eternity, that part of us which relates to infinity. I want to talk about that aspect of meditation which you can make real right here and right now, which relates to your life and to your problems. You see, we all live on three levels of consciousness. We're usually only aware of two of them. We're aware of our conscious minds, this mind that's always spinning. And we know about, at least, the subconscious. That, that aspect of our mind which <clears throat> feeds back to us the impressions we first gave to it. The habits that we have. We, we want to uh, do a thing well and there's this habit that comes from the subconscious saying look at all the times you've failed, you can't do it. It's that part of our minds which came from below, that part of our minds which came from the past. It's that part which we carried over from the earlier stages of our evolution. In the body the subconscious is more toward the back of the brain, down into the spine. The, that's why the lower animals have tails. Their, their energy is more in the lower part and they don't have the conscious part developed. They're not able to reason except in a very rudimentary way. Mankind has reached, generally speaking, to the level of consciousness where they're able to be uh, rational, to be able to analyze, to separate things, and this is a way of, through reason, lifting ourselves up from that blind impulse of simply um, conditioned responses, doing a thing because you like it, not doing another thing because you like it, the emotional reaction and action that we find on an animal level, that we find on people whose consciousness is not very much developed. They don't think before they act, they just sort of blindly plunge into whatever they want. The rational mind puts a brake on it. 
the rational mind starts to look and see, well, look, every time you did that, it didn't help you, so maybe you should try to do something a little bit differently. The rational mind is a very important part of our evolution toward our true source in the infinite. And yet the rational mind, too, is also a block because there is an intuitive flow, a unitive vision, uh, an intuitive view of things which gives us the ability to see things as a whole and see solutions where the conscious mind doesn't find solutions. The conscious mind is predisposed to looking at problems. The conscious mind is problem-oriented. There's another level of our consciousness which great geniuses have touched on and great mystics have united themselves with, but we all have it. It's not as if it weren't a part of our own being, our own higher potential. It's all centered in the frontal lobe of the brain. That's why the operation called prefrontal lobotomy was used originally to cut away this frontal lobe of the brain to relieve people of excessive anxiety, excessive neuroses, and so on. But what they discovered in the process was that it also cut them off from their higher nature, their idealism, their soul qualities, as they, as they uh, put it. And that's why people don't perform that operation now. The frontal lobe of the brain is where this higher part resides, just as the subconscious resides here in the back. And the conscious is more or less in the middle. We are evolving forward and upward toward the infinite, even in our physical bodies. And that's why human beings have this frontal lobe where the lower animals don't. But you've heard it said that the uh, average human being uses only a very small percentage of his potential brain capacity. We have within us the power to unfold our awareness to enormous degrees. And this is what geniuses have found. <clears throat> Many things have been written, books and articles, on the creative process. One of the most interesting books that I've read on the subject was by a man named Abel, Talks with Great Composers. In discussion with people like Brahms, he lived some time ago, in discussion with other great <clears throat> geniuses or with people who knew great geniuses like Tennyson and so on, he found one factor always to be predominant. And that was that these men or women felt that they had received their inspiration from above. It wasn't that they thought their way to that inspiration. They lifted their consciousness up. They demanded an inspiration, musical, poetic, whatever it might be. They had the faith. Remember what Jesus said, pray, pray believing. They weren't necessarily praying. They weren't necessarily really religious people in the commonly accepted way. But they demanded that, that this higher aspect of their being give them the inspiration they wanted. And that was how it came. When you want to get answers that really work, you'll find that it, it's not satisfactory to work just on the usual way that people 
suggest, which is make a list of the pros and cons and sort of analyze the differences and this seems to be the more reasonable and so go with the more reasonable. When you go with the more reasonable way, you will find that there is never certainty. The reasoning mind cannot give you certainty. It can give you probability. It can't give you faith. It can give you belief. It can't give you faith. Belief is that preliminary uh, acceptance necessary to conduct the experiments that will lead you to that absolute certainty which we call faith. Edison had to have that kind of belief or he wouldn't have done all the experiments that were necessary to produce the light bulb. It took him, I don't remember how many, but I, I think it was around 1600 experiments to find the right filament that would hold the uh, light, the electricity, to give, uh, to make a tungsten light bulb. And uh, he wouldn't have done all that work, 1600 experiments, if he hadn't believed in it. I visited his home in Florida a few months ago and learned there on the guided tour they gave us that there was one uh, discovery that he made, one invention, I don't unfortunately remember, which one? It took 40,000 experiments. After 20,000, his co-workers said, oh, let's give up, it's impossible. He said, no, not at all. We've only found 20,000 ways in which it doesn't work. But he was perfectly certain that he'd find a way that it did work. Well, there were two things working there. Belief, he had to have that belief. But the rational mind, I don't think, would have given him that level of faith or belief without the actual proof of it, if he hadn't had some kind of guidance from within. And this is the level of understanding that comes to us from our superconscious minds. Many psychologists have talked about the superconscious. Some mistakenly have said that you get your inspiration from the subconscious. Well, the subconscious is just sort of a confusion of impressions. It can't give you inspiration. The, the uh, real inspiration comes from a higher source within your own self. You can call it God, you can call it your higher self, but it will come to you when your mind is calm, when your mind is receptive, and whether in science, whether in uh, inventions, whether in art or music or poetry, whether in business, whether in simply knowing how to talk to somebody in a way to help him, you will find that there is a certain level of knowing, and I can't believe you haven't had it sometimes in your life, where you just knew, you just knew, and it proved to be true. You don't know how you know, but it's a very different kind of knowing from that which the conscious mind gives you of thinking that, well, it looks reasonable, and so it must be so. Now, what I'm proposing to you is something that I've practiced for many years, and so it's not just another lovely, conscious, rational theory. It's based on experience. I know it works. I've seen many other people use it, and I know it works for them. I've seen it work. And that is that if you have a problem, don't imagine that you can think your way to a solution. I've tried that way myself. I do a lot of thinking. And so the mind naturally tends to fall into the old pattern of trying to see a thing and understand it, grasp it on a rational level. But what I find is that today's rational clarity becomes tomorrow's doubt again. 
You just see it so clearly today, and then tomorrow it's sort of muddy, and you're not quite sure what it was you did see clearly. You, you, you find that the mind is sort of like a, a bubble in a shirt that you're washing, and you push the shirt under here, thinking to submerge it under the water, and the bubble simply moves over here and lifts another part of the shirt out of the water. And so the mind is always sort of, it's, it's always shifting. You address a problem here, another one grows here. You go and try to address that problem, and this one comes up again. Like the uh, hydra-headed monster of Greek mythology. Every time you'd cut off one head, another one would grow back. Several would grow back. Well, now, what, we've, what those of us who have meditated, and perhaps you are one, have found, is that if you will go into meditation, put your problems aside, just realize that they, the answers don't exist on that level. You see, in this world, we have division. In this rational mind, we see things separate. The analyzing mind is always thinking, how is this different from that? And so when we see a problem, we see the problem and don't see that it's connected to its own solution. But in the higher truth, everything being a unity, problems and solutions are one. Where there's a problem, there's a solution. I think you've probably seen this in your life with regard to the simple matter of questions. When you can pose a question clearly enough, you already see the answer. The problem is asking the right questions. If you ask the right questions, ask it with enough mental clarity, you see what the answer is. Half the solution is, lies in asking the right question. Well, if you can lift your mind to that level where you see a unity, and here's what I'm suggesting, that when you sit in meditation, don't think about your problems. Concentrate at the point between the eyebrows, sit upright, and just uh, calm your mind. You can watch the breath going in and out, and just let the mind become more and more calm in that flow. And lift the energy and consciousness upward and focus it all here. And then, when your mind is very still, call to God, call to the superconscious. When you feel a contact with that peace within, that's the time to ask the question. Ask the question, then, not as a problem. Don't say in your prayer, Lord, I've got this problem, help me to do something. What you'll find is that in the very way of praying, if you pray in this helpless way, what you're really doing is driving away the answer. He's there all the time trying to give you your solutions, trying to give you the help that you need. But you're saying, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, instead of, it's mine. Instead of having, this is the thing that comes through in that book on talks with great composers, that, that uh, Brahms, for example, didn't say, oh, I need a melody. He said, I have a melody. He prayed with that kind of faith if he prayed, or he, and he did pray because he felt that God was his inspiration. But he looked up to that, and he didn't wait passively for God to give it to him. He opened himself up to that peace within, but then he said, I need a melody, and that melody is, and there it was. You will find that if you, if you pray in that way, in the superconscious state, if you have the absolute certainty 
that the answers that you want will be yours in the very asking that you don't have to sort of, oh God, I prayed so long, when will you do it? No, he can do it right now. He's not the one holding back, you're the one holding back. And the reason you're holding back is that you haven't tuned into the right program. You haven't got your mind still enough, you haven't got it focused enough, you haven't got on that particular wavelength where that particular solution exists. So you need to attune yourself to that station. You need to tune in to uh, that ray of inspiration. Pray in that way. Don't say, I have a problem. Say, I want a solution. Or, I want a solution of this particular type. And you'll see then that that solution will come to you just like that. Put out enough energy in your prayer. Don't pray passively, but really demand it. And you'll see that it's there already. Another thing that I found helpful is because answers don't always come, not that they shouldn't or couldn't, but because the mind isn't completely in tune yet, I found that it can also help to pose various possible solutions. Now, this is the part of the brain, the point between the eyebrows is where it all focuses, where you can call, send out a thought of will and get an answer. But the heart is, you might say, like your receiving set. And if you listen in the heart, that very often is where you'll get the affirmation, yes, this is what's right. And you'll know that it's right. And you can apply it to even to the most mundane problems in your life. That from here comes the clarity, but from here comes the faith. You, from here you know it. So pose these different problems. Hold them up, as it were, to the inner peace. And then feel in your heart, what kind of a response do you get? And you, you'll find suddenly one, ah, yes, that's right. If, because of mental restlessness or whatever, you don't get any kind of answer, then put your whatever guidance you feel into practice. Do something. It's even better to make a mistake than not to do anything. Because in the making of a mistake, at least you're putting out energy. And in putting out that energy, you will be able gradually to attract a solution. Solutions come through willpower. Solutions come through an, a dedication of energy, not from just passively waiting for it to come. So do something, but always listen. And in the doing, you'll begin to suddenly feel, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. And then in that feeling, you'll begin to feel what really is right. Einstein said that the secret of all great scientific discovery is a sense, a mystic sense of awe. This is what we need to develop before the universe. A sense of awe, of, of appreciation, of acceptance and absorption. All of these are words that could be applied to meditation. Meditate daily and you'll be amazed to see how much you are guided from within to the right path that you should take in every action. Joy to you.